0: We basically crave and desire. and And so before anything, we can't just sort of try to put some artificial outside change. Change needs to happen internally. We need to ask questions about what we really want in this world, about what we're really after, about what we really love. And funny enough, the way in which we do that in this sort of paradoxical way is we do create outside disciplines that help shape our desires, that help change what we what we are really after and what we really want. There's this great passage I mention all the time. It's one of my favorite where uh, the writer Paul in the book of Ephesians, he talks about how if there are folks in your community who are like stealing and he's talking about all this unhealthy behavior, don't just tell them to stop. Like will it. Just cut it out. Right? We all know how good that goes with New Year's resolutions. Just stop doing that thing. Try really hard this year. How many people that works? Like more than like two weeks. Like, no, I don't care who you are. Even with the greatest self-control, it will break down eventually. No, he goes, no, invite them and encourage them. He says, put their hand to the plow. Like, put their hand to something useful and beneficial. Even something they don't love maybe at first. And you begin to find your actual desires and energies changed as you begin to put outside liturgies, outside ways of, of thinking and, and acting. Sometimes we have to act our ways into new ways of thinking. Right? Sometimes we need to act our ways into new desires. And so this season, in part, is about seeking God together and saying, God, we want you to change our desires and our passion for, for you. And that's part of what I'm going to talk about, actually, today. So if you're brand new to church, I want to just give you a heads up. Today is one of those Sundays um, that it's a little, maybe a little bit more insider than normal. So I, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to do, and I'm speaking right now just directly to those who are pretty new to our community, maybe new to the whole church thing, my, my hope is that um, as somebody who has a, a, a little bit of influence in this church, uh, I'm gonna share some of my, my vision for us as a congregation that we would be people of integrity. And so there may be things that I'm talking about that you're like, I don't get that, or I don't understand that, or that's not super relevant to me. What I do hope As I go through some of this stuff today, is that you look in on that and go, oh, this community is serious about actually wanting to follow Jesus. They're not just showing up to check off some religious box. They're not just showing up to kind of feel good about being at church or just to be mildly encouraged. Because let's be honest, when the boiler does not work correctly, no one is being encouraged right now. We are all mildly depressed. But we're here. We're here, why? We're not sure. No, we're here. We're here because we, we, we're serious about the way of Jesus. We're serious about understanding his grace and forgiveness and what that does for us in our lives. So, so again, to the new person, to the, to, to the person who may feel like an outsider, first of all, you're not, but who may feel that way, some of this is a, is a conversation with folks who have been a part of our church, and I'm just inviting us, inviting us into a, a new season of commitment. In the way of Jesus. So with that, I, uh, I went back and forth on whether I should read this whole thing and uh, the inner Biblicist in me felt like I should. So this is uh, the longest sermon written out in the book of Acts. We feeling okay? All right. There's not a whole lot of actually sermons and scriptures that are all written out. We hear like, and so-and-so gave a, gave a sermon, and so-and-so shared some things. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount is very likely multiple sermons that have been put together and arranged in a specific way by the gospel writers. This, on the other hand, Luke, who is a careful historian who wrote the book of Acts, he writes this. Now Stephen, a man full of grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicily and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. There's a guy, Stephen, he's speaking. Religious folks are pretty confounded by this guy who's speaking in his, his winsome, powerful, anointed way. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say... We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. Religious people getting upset about somebody who's not part of their club. Brand new idea. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people. God said, and go to the land I will show you. To be clear, what he's doing is he is now uh, teaching the religious elite. They're really happy about it, as you'll see in a moment. So he left uh, the land and settled in Haran after the death of his father. He was talking about Abraham. God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. For 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. God said, and afterward, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham gave the father of Isaac uh, and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and of all, of all the palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out forefathers on their visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for the sons of Amar and Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, which again was to be a blessing to the whole world, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At the time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as their own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt one another? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Uh-oh. You still follow me? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight, and he went over to get a closer look. He heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression Of my people in Egypt, I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He sent them to be their rule and deliverer by God Himself through the angel who appeared to Him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and the 40 years of wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. This, that was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to worship of the sun and moon and stars. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did, we bring, we, did you bring me sacrifices and offerings, 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You've taken up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your God, rephim the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law on them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations and drove them out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, God does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me, says the Lord? Or will you, uh, Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? He's laying into him now. It gets good now again if you want to just dial back in. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through the angels but had not obeyed it. So when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Whenever I see the gnash your teeth at him, it's a very Jewish way of saying like they were ticked off, right? You guys remember Romeo and Juliet? You remember the one with uh, the... With, uh, um, Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio? Where they like, I bite my tongue at you. And they're like around the gas station and they're going like this. Anyone remember that? No? Okay, great. <laughs> Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him. They dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. P.S., that's actually throwing rocks. That's not like a weed reference. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, "Lord, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, which is a euphemism for he did. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Okay, that was a really long passage. Congratulations, you sat through the longest sermon in the book of Acts. Here's why I wanted to read all of that. And here's a couple things I want to take away. It's going to be, again, like I mentioned, kind of a funny sermon. And and really pointed at at folks who are are here, who have been journeying with us for a long time. There's some things that we observe about the person of Stephen that I think are incredibly vital and incredibly important for us. Stephen, some background. Stephen's a typical person. Like an incredibly typical person. He's a local church leader whose job is serving the elderly people food. That is the task that he's been asked to do. We read about, they're sorting out what this new community is going to look like. There's some elderly in their midst. And the way in which they need some of the volunteers. Just like we asked some of you, would you serve in kids church? Somebody came up to Stephen and was like, hey, hey, hey. We, uh, we need some folks to feed these folks. Would that be your job in the life of the church? Ordinary fella, and this is his job, to go and serve those who need serving. Four things in this passage, and these are just insights into my pastoral goals for your life. These are my pastoral goals for your life. Four things from the life of Stephen. In the midst of all of these tensions, Stephen, a normal guy, all of a sudden thrust into leadership... These are some of the things I think we learn. One, my first thing is this, I, that you would understand the Holy Spirit and what it means to walk in the Spirit more this year. My first pastoral goal for you. Full, we're told Stephen is full of faith and fullness of the Spirit. Full of grace and power. They say, uh, it says they could not resist the wisdom from which he spoke, The Holy Spirit and the life of the believer, first and foremost, we're told, is the advocate, the one who comes alongside and reminds us of the teachings of Jesus, it says in the book of John. Comes alongside and empowers us to live them out. This is the the Spirit of God with us. We're told that it was better, Jesus said, It's better that I leave and send my spirit to be with you and in you than it is for me to hang around. So apparently, we can begin to open ourselves up more to the Spirit. In Galatians, it says we can walk in the Spirit. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you, you, you've entrusted yourself to Christ. You're somehow united with him. And that you can begin to, like, walk in the flow of heaven now. And what that begins to do to you is shape your outlook. And to shape your interaction with the Spirit who apparently comes alongside and empowers you to walk out the way of Jesus. The Spirit of God takes a normal person and transforms them. It takes the person who's helping out in the nursery, the person who's bringing some food to the elderly, and begins to empower them in a way that seems beyond their skill set. My goal is that you would ask this year the question, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? A biblical Christian who enjoys the reality of the Holy Spirit, that you're passionate about the things of God. As I was just thinking through some of this stuff, I kept thinking, you are not fated to grind out the next 30 to 60 years with the same habits and tendencies. You're not. Like, I I speak the reverse of that over you. You are not fated to that. Baptism." The way of Jesus, when we come to the communion table, these are all reminders that things can change. The Holy Spirit can take a normal life and fill us. I was listening to somebody talk about um, this account by this guy named Jesse Itzler. Anyone know Jesse Itzler? He's this famous uh, runner. He ran like ultra marathons. He's written a bunch of books. He wrote like a big jingle for, I don't remember what it was, Radio Shack or something, whatever. He's, he's sort of this like very odd fellow who's like made a big name for himself. And he put out a book called Living with Seal. So he's somebody who's obsessed with health, uh, like a lot of urbanites, running marathons. He shifts to ultra marathons, which, by the way, are the most ungodly things imaginable. Uh, can I get some amens on that? Ultra marathons. So he's, uh, he's doing this one, like, 24-hour run. And so the goal is they're going to run for 24 hours and they have friends who are all swapping out. So they'll run for an hour and then the next person will run for an hour, the next person will run for an hour. And it's some sort of like race that's set up with all these different teams. And they meet this one guy, I believe he's a Kenyan man or or a Nigerian, I can't remember uh, in the book. But he's running and he's just running with a big jug of water and a bag of crackers. And this one guy, not a team, runs for 24 hours. So like a lot of urbanites... Manhattan folks, he immediately pulls the guy aside after and goes, first of all, how on earth do you do this? Learns more about him. Finds out he's a Navy SEAL. So that starts, begins to answer some questions. And then he just goes, will you train me? Will you train me? I would love for you to come and live with me for a month and train me. So this is what the guy says. Yeah, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll come. But you have to do whatever I say, whenever I say it. Again, the book is called Living with SEAL. So they're in the gym with one of the funny, funniest accounts, the first account, they're in the gym, and he does chin-ups. I think he does, like, maybe 10 chin-ups, the guy, um, and uh, Jesse. And so uh, this Navy SEAL turns to him, and he goes, that's really all you can do, because you're not leaving the gym. You're not leaving the gym today until you do a 1,000. True story, until you're doing 1,000. SEAL makes him do all these insane things, he has these accounts, like, late at night. It's, like, 10 o'clock at night, and the guy's getting ready to go to bed, and he just turns to him. He's like, all right, get your shorts on. We're going to go run eight. Like, through Central Park in January. The line that keeps coming up is, you're too soft, Jesse. Makes him sleep in a hard chair one night because he's just too soft. Makes him sleep in a chair. So Jesse says at the end, like, when you're done, you're at 40% of your physical, like, capacity. 40% 40% of your physical capacity when you're, at your, when you're at your end. You're only 40% there. This is the observation that he has. He shaves a minute. This is guy who runs ultra marathons, Jesse. Shaved a minute off his mile. And so it just got me thinking as I'm hearing this, this conversation around this account in this book. It makes me go, what would happen like, if my discipleship was like that? If I was like, I just I did whatever Jesus said. And it dawned on me. like If I trust what I read in scripture... Like, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to remind me and to come alongside and empower me in the way of Jesus. That I am nowhere close to my spiritual capacity. Like, what would it be like to just go, here's my life, a 21-day experiment. Whatever nudge and inkling I get from Jesus, I'm just going to do. We have something better than a Navy SEAL living inside us. And if in your heart you have determined that I'm not great at following Jesus, like you're not done, the Spirit can change you. So one goal, living life with full contact with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you some ways to do this at the end. It's my first goal. Second goal for you is theological depth. So one thing, a takeaway from that too. We have these, these, these gatherings, heart next week. Maybe you're like, I really don't like the whole worship thing. When people raise their hands, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Come on the next Sunday night. It's right in the middle of our fasting time. Come. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. If you want to just hide out. In the, I have a bunch of friends who just literally hide out in the balcony the entire time. That's okay. Like Come and pray and just soak in that moment and say, God, I'm open. On Wednesday mornings at 8 o'clock, I know for a lot of you, you can figure out a way to make that happen. You would if it were something else. 8 to 9 every Wednesday morning, we meet at our office space. And Greg Johnson leads us in one hour of prayer and worship around the scriptures. It's unbelievably powerful. I went last week and it was just moving. I just want to encourage you, like, make some, make some decisions. What would it look like to say, I'm going to live in full contact with the Holy Spirit? Number two, theological depth. Stephen is dropping narrative theology. Like, Stephen is coming hard. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. He has this rich understanding of the Word. He makes three claims that we are still living under the theological shock of today. To religious people, he says three things. For those of you who know your Bible, you'll recognize this. One, you've misunderstood the role of who we are to be in the world. He's telling the religious people, you've misunderstood. Two, you've failed to understand the role of the temple, which is supposed to be like the center of everything. And then three, you've misunderstood the law. You've misunderstood the law. He says... He's critiquing the Pharisees who thought that Israel was unique, that the temple is where God is found, and that the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, are the most important thing in life. The reason why this is so pivotal is the reason why secular um, philosophers, anthropologists, historians who have written about Judeo-Christianity point out that the most unique things about the Christian faith come from sermons like this. For instance, the only reason that we are tribal Christianity is not about tribalism. The only reason why anyone is blessed is to be a blessing to the world. It's like tribalism. It's like anti-tribalism, tribalism. tribalism. Two, the tabernacle. God has left the building. Stephen's saying, "Uh, actually, there's not one person or one building or one physical spot that has, like, cornered the market on where God is and how to experience God. And three, the law, though important, pointed to Jesus, and you have misunderstood Jesus. They are going at the very roots of a religious structure that is meant to keep outsiders out and insiders in, and he blows the walls down. That's what Stephen does here, and they kill him for it. Stephen is the one God uses to bring theological depth. So for you, I pray that this year is a year of profound theological growth for you. Again, go to that page. Read through the Bible. You have to try so hard nowadays to not read the Bible in a year. There's like an, like 16 apps. There's like commentary. There's like all sorts of, I put up two links that are up there right now. You can just look Bible in a year. How do I do this in the most painless way possible? Like you, it's so difficult for you to not do that, to go through the Bible. You have, if you've downloaded the Uversion app, which is a free app, there's a little audio thing. You click that. You can have someone read it to you. Sitting on the train. You can put it in your car. How many of you have any kind of commute, like longer than 15 minutes? Like you can go through each section pretty strong. Don't be one of those people that says, I don't know what the Bible really says about that. You can, you can know, especially this day and age. This is an unbelievable day and age. Let it be anathema that sanctuary, people at Sanctuary Church are like, oh, I know that's in there somewhere. I'm just not sure where. It's important. This isn't just about knowledge. It's important to know who God is. There's so much confusion around the way of Jesus because we don't know the scriptures. Because we do not know the scriptures. You do not need to have some massive education. I, I, I am so low. I mean, for those of you who can... Read and dive deep. I mean, download Logos software, right? L-O-G-O-S software. Oh my gosh, you'll be looking up like the Greek words. You'll be going deep. For some of you who are like, that sounds like the scariest thing ever, I've got free copies of The Message, which is like a transliteration. It's like in the most basic language. Anybody can just pick up and begin to understand the scripture. Start somewhere and begin to commit. This is gonna be the year I grow in theological depth. We have a misunderstanding in our hearts that God is somehow boring And that learning about the way of Jesus is somehow, I think, boring. And we end up living our faith through people like me or Sarah or uh, Elizabeth or Tony, whoever's up front sharing about the things of Jesus or our home group leaders, that becomes, or the sermons that we listen to, and we don't actually take time ourselves to explore the Word. When the Holy Spirit and scriptural depth come together, it is something powerful. It's something powerful. Maybe even that can be like our dating standards. In our church, right? We need some fresh dating standards. Like if you are only at a level two of biblical like depth, like I'm just swiping left on that, right? Like nope, not gonna happen. Wait, swipe left is the no, right? Is that right? (laughs) Trying to out all you Kindle, all you uh, Kindle. (laughs) All you Kindle users out there. I'm hip with the kids. Um, Tinder, man. Would that be a value? Would that be of value? Would that be a value of ours? We're going to know what's available to us in learning the scripture. Go back to the Navy SEAL. I am going to make it my point this year to grow in theological depth. To have greater understanding of who God is. I'm going to show just the smallest bit of effort. Number three, have the courage to declare what you truly believe. Stephen says things like, you stiff-necked people. He is doing food distribution for widows. And he's calling the most powerful people out. The religious folks who are trying to keep people out. Saying, quote, you are just like your ancestors. Is there, was there ever a prophet that you didn't persecute? That you didn't fail to obey? That takes courage. Courage to speak truth. Everyone wants to be liked. But all opinions are not equally valued. We have to be people who speak courage and are willing to speak life and love and inside our community, right? It's not our job to judge those outside the community, but it's our job to hold each other accountable. Now, obviously, we do this in love and grace and humility, and I'll get to that in a moment. But we need to be people who are bold because we believe that following Jesus is the greatest possible way to live. So we want to call people in a world where we just leave people alone and leave people to their own devices until it's far too late, we want to be people who step in and speak life to those around us. And we want to be the kind of people who can receive that, who have the courage to receive correction, and the people who are around us in our world with their lies about what it means to be human and what it means to be beautiful and flourish and full of life, that we are people who can speak boldly into that. Our personal stories have to bend to God. For those of you um, who, who've been, there's a fair few of you I know this relates to, but been around Sanctuary for like before we were a church plant. So like going back longer than five years or even in the first two years. You may have noticed my preaching has changed a bit. Specifically around my topics. It was justice, justice, justice. Serve the poor. Go, care, go, serve. Beyond the fatigue that that sometimes produces. For me, it was a corrective for many of us that felt like we need to recognize what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to join God in the renewal of all things. My conviction around that has not changed at all. But what I have realized that over the years is that for most people, they go, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. And we are not actually submitting ourselves to the way of Jesus. That personal holiness, like in the book of James where it says a true religion, true religion is to, keep your, is, is to care for the orphan and the widow, I feel like that's one group of Christians, and then the other is and to keep yourself blameless from the world, and that's the second set, and it's like never the two shall meet, and that's just not that's not it that <laughs> we are to be people full of love and life and holiness and purity and beauty as we lay down our life and charge into the injustice of the world. Amen because One is just unanointed and will not have the power to last. You'll have a bunch of burned out activists or you'll have a bunch of fundamentalists. We want to be people who are living underneath the scriptures and have the courage to declare what's true. So often we take just a few scenes from Jesus' life where someone's being bullied, and because we always want to see ourselves as the victim, (laughs) we look at them and we lift that out of context and we go, we make a God of our own making. And we go, look, God, you care for me. We don't want God, turn God into that friend who always affirms everything we do. You don't have a friend like that. No matter what you do, they're like, yeah, you're great, man. I love you. You don't know what they say behind your back but to your face. I think we turn God into that. No, God's cool. I'm always the victim. If you've never been challenged by God or in scripture or anything like that, if you found ways to like, well, God didn't really mean that. If you ever find that as your narrative, like, this is what we want to correct. We want to be people who live with the courage to say, I actually want to be shaped by the word. And to be people who can receive, receive the strength of that and this be people who live with courage. The courage to confront. Just a reminder again, you're not loving people when you baptize, <laughs> like, all opinions and call it truth. Or all options and call it truth. We have to feel confident in confronting people's sin. And, I'm, and believe me, I'm suspicious of people who get really excited about confronting other people's sin. For one of those people are like, yeah, yeah, finally, Andrew's saying I should confront people for people's sin. If you're that person, sit down. Sit down. There's probably a different sermon you need to hear right now. And for a lot of us, I think that's difficult. That's difficult. The Christian faith is about self denial, not self approval. And so we need courage and conviction. Courage and conviction. When people come into this community, look, there's a lot of reasons people will leave sanctuary a lot of ways. I'm not the greatest leader, I'm not the greatest speaker, the band's not the greatest, but whatever it is, whatever the reasons people come and go of church that I try not to think about but honestly, what people won't be leaving church over i I pray ever, but I know is like the character of the folks that are like in leadership, like I'm pretty strong on that like our desire to be faithful, but I tell you what, a lot of people will leave over it, it is the character of the rest of us. For the rest of us, <laughs> for the larger community. So that was cheery. Four, importance of grace and humility. After Stephen has poked the hornet's nest, after Stephen has gone after the religious elite, how does he respond? How does he respond? Does he sound like anybody? Sounds like Jesus, right? At the very end, what does he say? God, don't hold their sins against them. The dude is having rocks thrown at him as he is dying. God, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Grace and humility. Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit and says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Don't hold their sin against them. He graciously forgives them. He picks a fight and then lays down his life. Our culture needs courage and humility at the same time. In fact, in scripture, right, we're told Jesus gives them essentially a standing ovation. It's like, that was good. I just imagine Jesus like getting up from the throne. That was good, Stephen. Nice. He led with courage. And he spoke with truth. You were led by the Holy Spirit. And look at you. Like that humility as you went down. I like that. Good job. Just like me, buddy. Excellent. Come on in. Right? What a beautiful moment that must have been. <laughs> Never mind. He's <laughs> is the first Christian martyr. The impact of Stephen's grace and humility and him leading courage. This is after this persecution breaks out. God uses his death to spark the sending of the church. This is the spark that ignites the invitation that was given earlier in the book of Acts to see people move out into the world and spread the good news of God's grace and love. Stephen, the guy who was picked when they need some helpful things done. Hey, we need some folks to greet. Hey, we need some folks to help out around the place. We need some folks to fix the thing. We need some folks over in kids ministry to help out. Like we need some diaper changers. Like let's go, come on. We need a few people. That was that him, them. Who 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 stepped up. Here's them. Who the ordinary task. It's funny, I've never really done this. I don't mean to embarrass this person, but I kept thinking of like, who are the sort of people I imagine this happening to? I kept thinking about some of you know Nick. Nick, who you can't pronounce his last name. Vio, Vio, Vi, V. I don't even want to know the right, I don't even want to know the right way to say it. Like Nick is one of these people in our community. Some of you know him. Just faithfully serving, head down. Tony, Faithfully serving head down, could do what needs to be done. I got it, whatever you need. Don't apologize. Tony got mad at me once for apologizing for how much he was like doing one Sunday. It's like, Andrew, stop. I'm in. I'm going to help. These are people who just faithfully have their head down. These are the kinds of people, the regular folks that God. In our community, when we commit, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna continue to walk in the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna commit this year to go deeper in that. How might God uh, open up whole new channels of the way in which we are blessing and serving and walking in the Spirit? I'm gonna grow in greater theological depth. I'm gonna grow in greater courage and greater humility and grace. What might God do with the quote-unquote most just simple, faithful, ordinary among us, which is all of us, right? So, 2018, my big lesson, or looking back on 2017. Was the keys to spiritual growth, to bring this really practical as we close. In light of those four things, keys to spiritual growth is, hear this, write this down if you're taking notes. Breaking through boredom. Breaking through boredom. If you are bored in life, you are boring. I'm I'm not even joking. We live in an incredible city. If you are bored, just go, just go for a walk. Look around. We have more access to information. Like take a course. You can take an entire New Testament course like by N.T. Wright for $15. You can go outside. You can take like those 18,000 books that you've been given and you can pick one up and you read. If you are bored, you are boring. What we are though is trivial. We're addicted to the trivial. We medicate our boredom with the trivial. And I say all this is that we need to take our boredom and to turn that into ministry time with the Holy Spirit. Like, what are we going to do tonight? Well, we could watch Chef's Table for an hour. Or we could join hands and just pray and say, Holy Spirit, will you just show up? That's weird. Are we open to that? The amount of time and television that you spend, what if you were to go through something that would greater grow your theological depth, your attentiveness to the Holy Spirit, your conviction? I love, like, the parents' table thing that we're doing. One of the things that came out of over the last year of thinking about discipleship in my own family was like, I'm going to pray for my kids and my wife, every person in my immediate family for five minutes a day. I'm just going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them. It's changed everything. And in fact, in seasons and a couple weeks here and there where I have not been faithful to do that, I've noticed the difference. I'm going to take some of that like downtime I have. And I'm going to actually begin to turn that into time where I'm allowing myself to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit. That moment of boredom is the moment of opportunity. That moment of the trivial is the moment of opportunity. And that moment where I had a buddy of mine who did Shallow Mondays, it's like, that's like the Bachelorette night, right? Isn't that Bachelorette, Bachelors at Monday nights, I believe, correct? Don't lie like you don't know. I see you I'm mad. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> right? What are those nights where it's like he would gather his whole family together and they just call it Shallow Mondays? I was like, oh, that's funny, and we're making fun of it, and it's good to kick back. And or some people are like, dude, you gotta see the second season of Stranger Things. I still haven't seen the second season of Stranger Things. You gotta see how have you not seen it? I get it. I'm sure it's a great show. There's obviously nothing wrong with Stranger Things. Please don't paint me a fundamentalist. But I'm like, you know what? I, I've really tried to resist the amount of like amazing television I put in my life. That in and of itself hasn't made me more holy. What it's done is changed like my available free time to be ministered to and the things that I say I want to do. The ways that I want to grow. The person that I want to become. I don't need to be the same person I am today. Never mind 30 years from now. I'm talking like at the end of 2018. We need to redeem routines. Last point. I'm going too long. All things that matter are buried below boredom. This is like my little like epiphany. The things that matter are so often buried below boredom or below the trivial. We need to redeem our routines. Any of you who have more than a 15-minute or a commute that's like 15 minutes a day, you could have written this sermon. This sermon came out of time, like, looking at this passage, reading this through, my normal Bible plan. You're reading through it, right? Really quick observations. You're reading through that. You're like, wow, this guy's got some serious, like, theological, like, depth. And he seems like just kind of like an like a average person in scripture. It's not like some of these big apostles. Man, I could grow in theological death. Wow, he's speaking with like all this power and anointing and, and he's just the guy who was helping out with the elderly. Man, I could grow, grow and and uh, wow, he's got this courage. Wow, it's amazing. And look at the way he dies with this grace and humility. Could I be the kind of person when people are throwing rocks at me? I respond with love and grace. That's like it took 15 minutes to write this sermon. That was it. That's my sermon. Like, you can do this. We can grow. You don't need me. We can commit ourselves to going, if the Holy Spirit really lives inside me, what would it mean for me to pay attention just a bit more this 2018? (sighs) A bunch of other funny, silly things, but I just keep imagining, like, someone coming up, greeting at the door. And someone who's been, like, serious about this, like, the middle of the summer, like, yeah, I, that sermon Angel gave on Steve really convicted me. Someone comes up, and you're, like, talking to somebody. You're just greeting at the door. Like, hey, how are you? I hope you're having a nice greeting experience here. Thanks for it. Sure. Here's a cup of coffee. You know, I was just as you came in, like, something came to mind. Like, Spirit has brought this to mind. Like, are you doing okay? I just felt like I just wanted to ask you, you doing okay? Can I pray for you? All of a sudden, the person bursts into tears. You heal them of, like, some epic disease. You know, like, every, their whole life changes. People come to Jesus. I'm being facetious. I'm not being, I guess I'm being silly, not silly. Like, there's something about the way in which as we begin to walk more and more faithfully, it's the everyday moments that we actually believe that God is always at work. My father's always at work, Jesus says, and I can begin to be attentive to what he's up to. How will that change the way we work? How will that change the way we see our friends and the way we see circumstances? That we would have a radical minimum standard of discipleship. A radical mill standard, that you would be resolved in your heart that I'm going to understand the Holy Spirit, I'm going to grow in biblical conviction, I will resolve to know so much theology that I can begin to categorize it, that I will grow with greater courage and greater grace this year there's just a few thoughts as I was just praying through this week, my vision for the life of our community and I'm going to be praying this over you all year it's my hope for us as we go so uh, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to come up and we're going to take communion and close together. It should take like five minutes as a whole. But I want to ask for these last five minutes, we come, we take communion, and we sing a song and a half. <laughs> Is that when we, see, we, we sing this song that we've been singing over the last couple of weeks, let this heart not wander. Let my eyes, let my heart not wander from your presence. May my eyes see nothing but you. May I always praise you. That as we are praying that, we are just open to God making like deposits and insights. Throwing sticky notes up in our mind. Of like what we can, what we need to give our time to. What we need to let go of this season. So that we might grow in grace and truth. There are so many folks in this room. Who are going to sing out in a moment, like, you are always worthy of my praise. God, I love you. God, your way is the greatest way. May I walk in greater power and greater freedom and greater love and greater life and greater celebration and greater truth. And may that not just stay an idea. God has not invited us to a set of ideas that we hold on to and then live a completely different way of life. God is saying, if you were to trust this is true, then let it affect your day to day. Let it affect your going and walking and sleeping. Let it affect your weightlifting. Let it affect your TV viewing. Let it affect your eating. Let it affect, Galatians says, if we are people of the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. If that's true, let us walk in it. Living with seal living with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to the table, as we come to the table that you have prepared for us, come to the table that reminds us of the grace and love poured out for us. As we take the bread, a symbol of your body, and we dip it in the cup, a symbol of your blood, of God poured out for us, of a passion for us, how could we not then respond, Lord in kind, with a passion for you and for life with you? Fill our minds and imaginations. I pray, Lord, with a sense of resolve. That 2018, 2018 will be a year that, Lord, I walk with you more. I know more of who you are, Lord. That I get to just touch the hem of your garment, Lord. In your name, In your name. We come and eat. Amen.